Well, good morning. I'm excited to preach to you as I am damp. That is what I am, is damp. Um, so Reformation Sunday, as Beth shared, um, there are five solas. Stephen, could you put that screen back up if you could find that? And I think that this is a, uh, is a, um, I'm being uh, distracted. Could someone unplug the hot tub that there? Sorry. I think this is more, this is a Reformation Sunday more than just remembering Reformation Sunday. Uh, I think it's a special Sunday as I've been praying. And one of those solas that has, uh, they've all meant a lot to me. But one in particular is sola scriptura. And, and as Beth had mentioned, it means that we decide what is right and wrong for us. We, we decide who God is. We decide who we live based primarily on the word of God. The word of God is the revelation of God. And therefore, as we wrestle, it doesn't matter what issue it is. It doesn't matter opinions and all that. And we take stories. We take reason. We take science. All those. We take church tradition. All of those are valuable. But at the end of the day, it's scripture that decides what, how we believe and understand and therefore live. And the reason I bring that up this morning is because I'm going to talk about a subject that I have discovered many, many people, including myself, have baggage surrounding this particular subject that what I'm going to preach to you this morning is not how I have been taught. It was not part of my Christian heritage. It was not part of my education in seminary. In fact, some of the pieces I'm going to teach you, I have been taught directly the opposite of, right? And the reason that I'm going to teach you this is because solo scriptura, because I believe I've been studying this for years and years. And I've prayed about the right time when we get very direct and specific about a shift. Because I believe there's a theological and scriptural barrier that we have. And I want to invite you to just simply trust scripture. Can I do that? Yes. Not solo baggage. I've had people say, we've got issues with this. And so they've left. But the problem is, is wherever you go, there you, are. you carry your baggage with you, right? And the only way to deal with that baggage is to say, well, what does scripture say? Do I, is there forgiveness? Do I, do I need to wrestle through that? But really, wherever we go, we bring that, that baggage. I, I'm not throwing stones from glass houses. When I married... Kendra, I said, listen, some people have baggage. I've got a U-Haul. Are you willing to unpack the U-Haul? And she's like, oh, yes, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But we have to take some of that baggage and we have to unpack that and wrestle through that, right? Would you, would you do that with me? It is, this subject really has to do with fullness. And this is why I can't get past this subject. It's about fullness. The idea that God has this incredible fullness of life fullness of ministry for you and I. He's got all this uh, incredible gifts and blessing and favor from heaven that he wants to dwell deeply in our soul. And yet oftentimes, we don't push into the fullness because of some barriers or hangups or baggage that we have. If you think about the seven-year vision, we had three weeks on the seven-year vision. Really, the seven-year vision is about this idea of fullness that we want to press in, that I don't want a shallow life. I want an abundant life. I don't want a sin management life kind of life, right? I don't want that for me and I don't want that for you where I'm just managing sin and try not to cross the line, keep my nose clean. I don't want that. I also don't want a life that just has afterlife fire insurance, right? Some have reduced the gospel to that. I don't want that. I want the life that Jesus talked about, this abundant life that is all a life of depth, a life of purpose, a life of the presence of God, his voice in my ears. That's the kind of life I want for me and for you. Would you think about the, the, the five streams of ministry that we've talked about? That is about fullness as well. That, that the five streams is about that you, God does not want you to sit in the stands and cheer for the kingdom. Right? Kingdom, kingdom, rah, rah. No. He wants you on the field. He wants you to do the stuff. I don't want to live a life where I'm cheering others where they do the stuff. Right? No, I want to cheer you on, but I want to get to play too. Right? That, that fullness. And I don't want a church that's just about teaching and shepherding and a little bit of evangelism sprinkled in. That's not good enough. I want a church that has evangelism that's flowing, that has prophetic ministry and apostolic ministry. It's about this fullness of ministry. Now, can we talk about the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit wants more for you, do you want it? Yes. Are you sure? Yep. We're getting into baggage, offloading baggage area. There's a lot of baggage. We're in the carousel, right? There's a carousel going around. I just flew, so that just jumped in my, yeah, we're, we're baggage claim. Let's not claim this baggage. Let's just let it go around the carousel and back into the plane. Let's leave it alone. All right. If the if the spirit wants more, would you be willing to bring a heart that says, you know, I have been hurt before, and it's been done in the name of the Holy Spirit. But I want all that the Lord has for me. Would that be true of you? Yep. Look at your neighbor and say, I, I want all, all that he has, all that he has. All right. Turn with me to Matthew chapter eight, uh, 3, and we are going to look at a central piece of what Jesus came to do. 
We do have these uh, scriptures up for you on the screen, Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 11. You were all reading the gospel of Matthew. Many of you were, as we did immerse Messiah, and you read about John the Baptist, and he said, I baptize you with water. Well, let me just read what he said, Matthew 3, verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for purpose of repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This was a central piece of what Jesus came to do. Now, there's so much that Jesus came to do in in terms of uh, on the cross and dying for our sins, absolutely so much. But there's a piece there that even John the Baptist and Jesus would later say, a crucial aspect of what I want to do in your life is baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I have found that in many evangelical churches, at least in the United States, we have no idea what that phrase really means and is to baptize, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That we have assumed that it is simply linked to baptism with Water, And so if I ask you, have you been baptized, what do you immediately think of? Water. Do you ever think of, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Very rarely. Because we don't really know what that is, or we've just simply connected it with the baptism with the water, with water. And yet, I want to suggest to you this morning that Jesus understand baptism with the with water and baptism with the Holy Spirit as yes, intimately connected, but two distinctive things. It's the theological block. Right? We've been flying like this last week, right? And every time I start to hear someone teach like this, the church goes, no, 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 this is right. I don't think so. I want to suggest to you that Jesus and the early church saw baptism with water and with the Spirit as something intimately connected and yet distinct from one another and that he is inviting us as a church that we would go through a reformation that our culture would be affected by this understanding that these two things baptism with water and baptism with the spirit are intimately connected and yet distinct I believe that Jesus is our model he's a pretty good model to go with right I believe the early church is our model. All right, let those baggage go around on the carousel, go back. Don't don't pick it up. Let's read on a little bit further in uh, Matthew 3, where John the Baptist, he talks about um, the second coming and winnowing fork and unquenchable fire. And then verse 13, he says this. 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? So John is right. I can't carry your sandals. I can't untie them. Why are you coming to me to be baptized, Jesus? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. We see the purpose uh, of baptism, of righteousness as a model. Jesus, of course, lived the perfect life, so he doesn't need to be forgiven of sin, but as a model to us in terms of our unrighteousness and the righteousness of God, he models. Then Jesus consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. How many baptisms did Jesus experience just in this moment in scripture? I want to suggest two. I want to suggest two. You know, um, I did some church planting in Southern California outside of San Diego, and our church ended up merging with this large church, which was a different denomination. And they invited me to be pastor of outreach and discipleship, but they were concerned about my reformed understanding of baptism and infant baptism. They didn't practice infant baptism. So we talked about that. I talked the beauty of covenant theology, uh, I talked about the, the beauty of claiming God's promises that it's not just about the person who's baptized, but infant baptism is not a deal breaker for me, right? I, I, there, there's a, I, I think we can have some flexibility in that, and I was okay, and they said, okay, if you're okay, and by the way, we want you to be over all water baptism. I said, okay, great. So I would bring people and it was a large church. We baptized a lot of people and I talked to them about covenant theology. I talked to them about the promises of God. I'd really fill it out, fill it out right? Um, but they kept saying water baptism, water baptism, water baptism. And I finally said to my supervisors, listen, why in the world do you guys keep talking about water baptism? Just call it baptism. And they're like, well, because spirit baptism. I said, I didn't even have a category. This is post-seminary. This is training. I was like, wait, what do you mean, Spirit? Well, Jesus came. This was central to his ministry to baptize with the Holy Spirit. What do you think that means, Eric? Can we talk about covenant theology? That would be a much better, I don't know. And in that moment, I started to study and to wrestle and look at, and I want to suggest to you that there's these two aspects of what it means that we are called to walk in the fullness of the Spirit is to be Spirit-born and to be Spirit-baptized. Spirit-born and Spirit-baptized. And though they are intimately connected, they are ultimately distinct. They can happen simultaneous. We see in scripture sometimes that happens. Or 
They happen separate. Spirit born and spirit baptized. And when we baptize with water, as we did with my good friend Tom, that's a physical representation of Tom being born again, of spirit born, but not necessarily a physical representation of Tom being spirit baptized. Are you with me? Are you with me? All right, now, um, why they are so intimately connected uh, yet distinct is because they are both works of the Spirit. And just because you've been baptized with water doesn't necessarily mean that you and I have been baptized with the Spirit. So the, the connection here is really that both are the work of the Spirit. We have uh, up there John chapter 3 where Nicodemus sneaks to Jesus in the evening and he wants to ask questions of Jesus and Jesus talks to him about being born again and pay very close attention to Jesus' words. He says, very truly I tell you, Nicodemus, no one, can we go to uh, the next scripture, Stephen? John chapter 3, I think I have it there. Next screen. Next one. We don't have John 3. Okay, sorry about that. My fault. So listen. But you can go to John 3 if you want. Uh, John 3, verse 5 and 6. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, that is the same thing of eternal life, Unless they are born of water and the spirit, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Now, many have said, oh, well, obviously that is um, born of water and the spirit. You've got spirit born and spirit baptized. You've got the two different baptisms. Actually, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. In the next phrase, he says, flesh gives birth to flesh. He's saying there, when you were born, when your mama gave you birth, you came, flesh gave birth to flesh, you were born and you had a little spirit within you. But the little spirit within you was not fully alive. It was not fully alive. You have to go through a rebirth another birth, and that is a spiritual birth, which is from the Holy Spirit. Now, we're talking about water baptism as a symbol of this. I have a representation of this, that when you were born, this is you. You look pretty good, don't you? All right, quite a physique. All right, when you were born, you have a little spirit within you. I got this analogy from Tom Antico, who we baptized this morning. So you had, a little, you had a little spirit within you. It's in there, but you notice there's something missing. What's missing? Fire. Fire. Yes, fire. And when Tom asked Jesus into his life, however many years, way back, 
the Spirit of God, like a dove, um, water, like a flame. There's all different. He lit his presence within you. And there's a flame in you. Can we just try and put the lights out to see if it would be a cooler analogy? If that. Oh, well, it's going out. The spirit never goes out in you. Don't be distracted by the weakness of my analogy. All right, but you, you get the idea that what to become a Christian is the spirit of God enters in and lights you up. And he gives life to your spirit. And then he begins to do a number of things. He begins to speak his voice he, with impressions. He begins to say, hey, have you thought about this? Have you understood this truth? That's a ministry. Once he lights you up on the inside, he begins to speak. Uh, there's another ministry of intimacy. You begin a personal relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and you grow in this intimate relationship between you and the Holy Spirit. That's what he starts to do. And then the other th neat thing is a theological term called sanctification. He starts to say, hey, can I, we talk about your life, your character, who you are, and you're doing this thing and it's not good. It's not of God, whether it's gossip or lust or whatever that is, anger. You don't, no, can we work on that? Can we do this character work? All of that the Spirit of God is doing and that's the ministry he has in your life. But I think there's more. Do you want more? Yeah. Well, we can just end it right here. I mean, that's a lot, right? That's beautiful, isn't it? It's good, right? Is there more? Yes. I think there's more. And here's the theological uh, block, is the distinction comes, if you think of it from purpose, the purpose of being uh, born again is uh, salvation, is the presence of God in your life, is the work of intimacy, of his voice, all of those things happening. Jesus um, experienced that, of course, really, Jesus was spirit born from the moment he, right? The, the birth narratives, it was the Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary. So Jesus was spirit born. So he didn't need to be baptized in water. He just does that for us as a model. But then, and he does that with the disciples. You find my spot here. All right. All right, I'm lost, so we're going to just go with it. All right. Um. So then he says, there's something more. With the disciples, he's living physically with them. And he's doing all the things of the Holy Spirit when he's physically on earth. He's speaking to them. He's working on their character. He, he, there's an intimacy of relationship there. You with me? Yep. Now, how is he going to do that with the apostles once he ascends to heaven? It's only my top three answers, right? Okay. What is it? Holy the Holy Spirit. At the end of the Gospel of John, he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Why does he do that? 
because now he's physically being taken away from the apostles, right? And so he sends his Holy Spirit to have the light in there. But after that, he says, oh, by the way, disciples, apostles, there's more. A little something called Pentecost. Did the apostles have the Spirit before Pentecost happened? Yes. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Then why did they need Pentecost? Did Jesus have the Spirit before he, we read that he was baptized? Yes. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. Why? They were Spirit-born. But there's more. And what the more is, sorry for the block, I couldn't find anything else, is that at Pentecost what happens is even though folks are spirit-born, let's turn out the lights again if we could do that one more time. The spirit comes, and then this is where it really works, tongues of fire rest on the disciples. All right? And just like with Jesus, it says, I love that word, the Spirit alighted him. Not sure how the translators got that word, but awesome, right? And so at Pentecost, the apostles, it alighted upon them, a flame. And there was a purpose behind it. It wasn't a purpose of intimacy and salvation, They already had that. They were already born of the Spirit. The purpose was anointing for what? Power and gifts. He said, there's more. I'm going to send you out to do this stuff, but I don't want you to do it in your own power. I want to rest on you. Some have used this, not perfect, but I still like it, spirit within Spirit upon, spirit born, spirit baptized. When the apostles were with Jesus, they were with him, intimately walking with him, but there's a key moment that you might have read in Matthew, and I think it's Matthew 10. It'd be so wonderful if I could find my spots and my notes. Matthew 10, 1, he says this, Jesus called the 12 disciples to him and gave them authority and power to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease. He gave them, he anoints them with authority and with power to go do the stuff. Now, did Jesus want them to have that anointing and power when he ascended into heaven? So what's he gonna do? They needed spirit on, which was Pentecost. Friends, I want to suggest that most of us have heard theology and understanding and practice simply here. And what we're saying is, if Jesus has it for us, we want it all. We want all that he has. He's saying, I want you to live differently. Yes, this is a different life. No doubt, it is a different life. And there's a deep richness in our lives and ministry. 
Absolutely. But there's more. I want more. You might think I'm being piggy. But if Jesus said, I want this for you, because you can't do it on your own, Eric. You you need the anointing. You need the power. I have gifts for you, Eric, to open up. Now, I want to just illustrate this. Um, Spirit baptized. Oh, dang it. (laughs) Scratch that. Like that. Spirit born. Spirit baptized. The presence of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit. Spirit within. Spirit upon. Salvation. Intimacy. Voice of God. Sanctification. Power. Gifts. Witness and evangelism and testimony. All right? I feel like you're with me. I feel like it's making sense. Good. Thank you. All right. Now, let me, now it's okay. There's a little bit of baggage there. So let me just demonstrate with you from the church that I believe wholeheartedly that one, there's a foreshadowing of this in the Old Testament. We can't get into this, but I'd love to talk to you about it if you still are wrestling and have questions. But also I want to argue that the early church understood this as kingdom life. Not this as kingdom life. The early church understood this as kingdom life. And somewhere along the line in history, the church began to look at it like this and fly the plane upside down. And now we're moving back to this. You see it all through the uh, early church um, and uh, we see it in Acts chapter 2. We see it in Acts 8. We see it in Acts 10. And I'm just going to give one story from the early church from Acts chapter 10. And that you can flip there uh, with me. But I do think we have that on our, on our screens. But that's the story of Peter. And Peter is praying. He gets a vision. And he is called to go to a uh, soldier's home. He's an Italian soldier named Cornelius. And he's called out. And even though Cornelius is a Gentile, that it's not okay, it's not kosher for Peter as a Jew to go into the home of a Gentile. They still hadn't figured out that the gospel was for all people, not just Jews, but for every nation. So the Holy Spirit has to give visions and words. He gives a vision to uh, Cornelius and Peter. And finally, Peter is brought to Cornelius' house. Cornelius gathers his family um, and his friends. And he says, listen to this message of Peter. So they're all gathered around and Peter starts preaching. All right? And listen to what happened. Um, This is uh, Peter telling the story. Acts chapter 11. I guess I'm in the wrong spot. Let's see here. 
All right. Now, let me uh, back up. This is Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised, i.e. the Jewish believers, Jewish Christians that went there with Peter, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, Cornelius and his family, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. What did they just witness? Did they, uh, baptism with water or baptism with the Spirit? They saw that, and they're like, whoa, this is, we thought this was a Jewish thing. And so, uh, reading on, it says, then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he's understanding that this, the Spirit's going to do what he wants to do. He didn't want them to receive Christ and all that. No, he was ready to baptize them. So they were believing in the message of, of Peter, uh, the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they, they became Christians as Peter was preaching and speaking, right? And then the spirit goes, woo, and he baptized them. And the Jewish believers go, what? Wait, what? What's happening? Oh, and so Peter goes, you know, since they were baptized with the Spirit, we probably should baptize them with water. <laughs> Guess what? Peter faces criticism when he goes back to Jerusalem from the Jewish believers. And you know what they're upset with? Because he baptized them with water. They said, hey, that's not right. They, they were still thinking this was a Jewish thing. So listen to how Peter justifies his actions. This is Acts 11, verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Remember the scripture we began? He was seeing it coming out. And he saw it as intimately connected and yet distinct from baptism with water. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, i.e. Pentecost, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? So they baptized them with water. And the Jewish believers said, okay, if that's what God wants to do, then okay. Friends, somewhere, somewhere along the line, we, we've lost the distinctive purposes of baptism with the Holy Spirit. Somewhere along the line, many churches have lost the articulation of that where you've got seminary trained folks like me that have no idea baptism with the Holy Spirit isn't that isn't that conversion somewhere it's been removed from our language 
from our understanding and from our practice. And others have jumped in and God bless our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, but oftentimes they start to push into this theology and then it gets wrapped up in some unhealthy teaching. And it's been a mess and the enemy is having a field day. And that's why we have baggage. And that's why I've been waiting to be this specific with you all. Because I do believe this is a Reformation Sunday. And I'm going to invite you, if you're willing, if you're not willing, if you've still got some baggage, if you'd like to process baggage with me, okay. But I've asked our, our prayer team, don't come up just yet, our prayer team to pray because there is a physical symbol of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a symbol. It doesn't always happen, but it's really simply laying on of hands and praying for the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's it, okay? Now, before we pray, and I give you the invitation, I know we just have a few minutes, but I, I want to talk about one very important difference between to be born again and spirit baptized, spirit born, spirit baptized. And that difference is, is one, is that the spirit within or salvation, that is a one-time experience that we get, like, I don't, Tom does not need to be rebaptized with water. Okay? As much as I would like to go back and forth with Tom again and again and again, because after we all know, he's been journeying a long time, right? It's a one undone. It's a salvation. Baptism with water, it's a one-time issue. You don't need to be rebaptized. There's a beauty in being spirit-baptized is that another word that scripture uses for baptism with the spirit is filling. And that because this is about power and anointing and gifts and evangelism and testimony, that we get to be filled again and again and again. It's a testimony of scripture. You see the di distinction? One and done. As the Apostle Paul says, be filled. Keep on being filled. That should be a part of the regular rhythm of our lives because it was for the disciples. They were filled and filled again. I honestly believe that many of you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You just don't use the language, you don't, the biblical language. I, I think there's, there's many of you that have already, I was baptized with the Holy Spirit well before seminary uh, at a urban missions conference a long time ago. <laughs> but I didn't have language for it. 
I was just at a conference uh, in the Midwest, and I heard this pastor sharing, and he shared of this incredible experience of the Holy Spirit. It was about, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, he didn't know it. He didn't have the language. Me and a few other guys after we were like, wasn't that great? He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Too bad he doesn't know how to articulate it and give an invitation. You understand? Now, let me talk uh, just a, a few minutes about what we might experience when we invite the Spirit upon. Again, Scripture uses different language. At Pentecost, in Acts 2, you can look at it, the word is used, filling. And then in Ephesians 5, Paul says, be filled again and again. In Acts 3, Peter uses the word refreshing. Sometimes we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and we are just weary, weary of soul. Are any of you weary of soul? One of the best things is to invite the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit into that weariness for the refreshing. Look at uh, the final verse I have in the PowerPoint, Titus. Paul says this, he saved us through the washing of rebirth, that's about being spirit born, and renewal, that's about spirit upon, by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So when we come forward, for some of us, perhaps we've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit and we want to pray. Some of us just need to be renewed, to be refreshed, to be filled. You're facing a particular thing. I've seen a number of things that have happened. I've seen people receive the gift of tongues. Most often, not. That's an okay thing. If, you, if any of you receive the gift of tongues, you can talk to me. We'll talk about it. It's a sign. It happens sometimes. It's not the mandatory sign. That's been part of the baggage, right? No one is going to try and get you to speak in tongues if you come forward. That's not our, our goal. We're simply going to lay hands and pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. I've seen it happen where nothing happens. That's okay. Nothing happens in the moment. But then I've seen where people, their, their lives, their ministry begins to have a power and anointing to it. And they go back to that moment. Most often I've seen people experience the love of the Father. And the joy of the Father. And it begins to bubble up and they, and they want to tell people about Jesus. Leads to witness and testimony and evangelism. And that's a beautiful thing. So, so we're not going after, one, one more thing, peace. My experience was really my calling at Urbana many years ago. And there was an anointing and a calling, and he's like, 
this is the gospel, Eric, I want you to tell people about. And I began to weep and, and cry. And it was an experience of the Holy Spirit. So my hope is that we invite people to be baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. Not every Sunday, but as the Lord leads that we do that. And I know that water baptism and spirit baptism is different, but because they're intimately connected, I thought we'd simply use the symbol of water on our baptism Sundays. So I've asked the prayer leaders if the prayer leaders would like to come forward. And let me just kind of give you, as this is our first Sunday of really practicing, we're just going to lay our hand and pray for more with the water and lay more, pray for more, a, a fresh infilling, a baptizing of the Holy Spirit with you. Now, if we were at a seminar, I'd say questions. Do you have any questions? All right. But we're not there on a Sunday morning. I want to encourage you, if you have any questions, please talk with me. Love to wrestle with Scripture with you. Be reformed with you. All right? I encourage you. Let's, let's pray together. So, Lord, we began with this desire of fullness of life and ministry. And we long for that fullness. We long for renewal and refreshing and anointing. So, Holy Spirit, we are so thankful that we are born of you, born again. Lord, but we long to be empowered by you baptized by you. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and stir in the hearts of your people gathered here? And would you prompt them to come forward and to be prayed for, for the fullness of life and ministry? Amen. This bowl of water is for you guys. We're going to sing and worship. And if you feel so led, would you come and be prayed for, for the filling of the Holy Spirit?